0: book one chapter seven of the crossing by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven in sight of the blue wall once more polly ann lived alone with her grandfather her father and mother having been killed by indians some years before there was that bond between us and we needed one her father had built the cabin a large one with a loft and a ladder climbing to it and a sleeping-room and a kitchen the cabin stood on a terrace that nature had levelled looking across a swift and shallow stream towards the mountains there was the truck patch with its yellow squashes and melons and cabbages and beans where polly ann and i worked through the hot mornings and the corn patch with the great stumps of the primeval trees standing in it all around us the silent forest through its encircling arms spreading up the slopes higher and higher to crown the crests with the little pines and hemlocks and balsam fir there had been no meat save bacon since the mcchesneys had left for of late game had become scarce and old ripley was too feeble to go on the long hunts so one day when polly ann was gone across the ridge I took down the long rifle from the buckhorns over the hearth, and the hunting knife and powder horn and pouch beside it, and trudged up the slope to a game trail I discovered. All day I waited until the forest light grew gray, when a buck came and stood over the water, raising his head and stamping from time to time. I took aim in the notch of a sapling, brought him down, cleaned and skinned, and dragged him into the water. And triumphantly hauled one of his hams down the trail. Polly Ann gave a cry of joy when she saw me. "Davy," she exclaimed. "Little Davy, I reckoned you was gone away from us, Grandpa. Here's Davy back, and he shot a deer." "You don't say," replied Mr. Ripley, surveying me and my booty with a grim smile. "How could you, Grandpa?" said Polly Ann reproachfully. "Well," said Mr. Ripley the gun was gone and davy i reckon he ain't such a little rascal after all polly ann and i went up the next day and brought the rest of the buck merrily homeward after that i became the hunter of the family but oftener than not i returned tired and empty-handed and ravenously hungry indeed our chief game was rattlesnakes which we killed by the dozens in the corn and truck-patches As Polly Ann and I went about our daily chores, we would talk of Tom McChesney. Often she would sit idle at the hand mill, a light in her eyes that I would have given kingdoms for. One ever memorable morning, early in the crisp autumn, a grizzled man strode up the trail, and Polly Ann dropped the ear of corn she was husking and stood still, her bosom heaving. It was Mr. McChesney, Tom's father. Alone, no, Polly Ann. He cried, "Ain't nothing happened. We've laid out the hill towns, but the Virginia men wanted a guide, and Tom volunteered, and so he ain't come back with Rutherford's boys." No, Polly Ann. He cried, "There ain't nothing happened. We've laid out the hill towns, and the Virginia men wanted a guide, and Tom volunteered, and so he ain't come back with Rutherford's boys." Polly Ann seized him by the shoulders and looked him in the face. Be a-tellin' the truth, Warner McCusney, she said in a hard voice. As God hears me, said Warner McCuskey solemnly. He sent you this. He drew from the bosom of his hunting shirt a soiled piece of birch bark scrawled over with rude writing. Polly seized it and flew into the house. The Hickories turned a flaunting yellow, the oaks a copper red, the leaves crackled on the Catawba vines, and still Tom McChesney did not come. The Cherokees were homeless and houseless and subdued, their hill towns burned, their corn destroyed, their squaws and children wanderers. One by one, the men of the great vine settlement returned to save what they might of their crops and plough for the next year burrs o'haras williamsons and Wims. yes tom had gone to guide the virginia boys all had tales to tell of his prowess and how he had saved rutherford's men from ambush at the risk of his life to all of which polly ann listened with conscious pride and replied with sallies i reckon i don't care if he never comes back she would cry If he likes the Virginia boys more than me, there be others here I fancy more than him, whereupon the informer, if he were not bound in matrimony, would begin to make eyes at Polly Ann, or if he were bolder and went at the wooing in the more demonstrative fashion of the backwoods, Polly Ann had a way of hitting him behind the ear with most surprising effect one windy morning when the leaves were kiting over the valley we were getting ready for pounding hominy when a figure appeared on the trail steadying the hood of her sunbonnet with her hand, the girl gazed long and earnestly and a lump came into my throat at the thought that the comer might be tom polly ann sat down at the block again in disgust it's only chauncey dyke she said who's chauncey dyke i asked he reckons he's a buck. Was all that Polly Ann vouchsafed. Chauncey drew near with a strut. He had very long black hair, a new coonskin cap with a long tassel, and a new blue fringed hunting shirt. What first caught my eye was a couple of withered Indian scalps that hung by their long locks from his girdle. Chauncey Dyke was certainly handsome well polly ann are you tired of hanging out for tom he cried when a dozen paces away i wouldn't be if you was the only one left to choose polly ann retorted chauncey dyke stopped in his tracks and he hawed with laughter but i could see that he was not very much pleased well he said i you won't see tom very soon he's gone to kaintucky has he said polly ann with brave indifference he met a gal on the trail a blazing fine gal said chauncey dyke she was going to kentucky and tom he'd lowed he'd go long polly ann laughed and fingered the withered pieces of skin at chauncey's girdle did tom give you them sculps she asked innocently chauncey drew up stiffly who tom mcchesney i reckon he ain't got none to give this here's from a big brave at Naui, where the virginny boys was surprised. And he held up the one with the longest tuft. He'd a liked to tumult me out of the briars, but I throwed him first. Shucks, said Polly Ann, pounding the corn. I reckon you found him dead. But that night, as we sat before the fading red of the backlog, the old man dozing in his chair, Polly Ann put her hand on mine davy she said softly do you reckon he's gone to kentucky how could i tell the days passed the wind grew colder and one subdued dawn we awoke to find that the pines had fantastic white arms and the stream ran black between white banks all that day and for many days after the snow added silently to the thickness of its blanket and winter was upon us it was a long winter and a rare one polly ann sat by the little window of the cabin spinning the flax into Lindsay woolsey, and she made a hunting shirt for her grandfather and another little one for me which she fitted with careful fingers but as she spun her wheel made the only music for polly ann sang no more Once I came on her as she was thrusting the tattered piece of birch bark into her gown, but she never spoke to me more of Tom McChesney. When from time to time the snow melted on the hillsides, I sometimes surprised a deer there and shot him with the heavy rifle. And so the months wore on till spring. The buds reddened and popped, and the briars grew pink and white through the lengthening days we toiled in the truck patch but always as i bent to my work polly ann's face saddened me it had once been so bright and it should have been so at this season old mr ripley grew querulous and savage and hard to please in the evenings when my work was done i often lay on the banks of the stream staring at the high ridge its ragged edges the setting sun burned a molten gold and the thought grew on me that i might make my way over the mountains into that land beyond and find tom for polly ann i even climbed the watershed to the east as far as the o'hara farm to sound that big irishman about the trail for he had once gone to kentucky to come back with his scalp and little besides o'hara with his brogue gave me such a terrifying notion of the horrors of the wilderness trail that i threw up all the thought of following it alone and so i resolved to wait until i heard of some settlers going over it but none went from the grapevine settlement that spring war was a waging in kentucky the great indian nations were making a frantic effort to drive from their hunting grounds the little bands of settlers there and these were in sore straits so i waited and gave polly ann no hint of my intention sometimes she herself would slip away across the notch to see mrs mcchesney and the children she never took me with her on these journeys but nearly always when she came back at nightfall her eyes would be red and i knew the two women had been weeping together there came a certain hot sunday in july when she went on this errand and grandpa ripley having gone to spend the day at old man winds i was left alone i remember i sat on the squared log at the doorstep wondering whether if i were to make my way to salisbury i could fall in with a party going across the mountains into kentucky and wondering likewise what polly ann would do without me i was cleaning the long rifle a labour i loved when suddenly i looked up startled to see a man standing in front of me how he got there i know not i stared at him he was a young man very spare and very burned with bright red hair and blue eyes that had a kind of laughter in them and yet were sober His buckskin hunting shirt was old and stained and frayed by the briars, and his leggings and moccasins were wet from fording the stream. He leaned his chin on the muzzle of his gun. "Folks live here, sonny," said he. I nodded. "Where be they?" "Out," said I. "Comin' back?" he asked. "Tonight," said I, and began to rub the lock. "Be they good folks?" said he. "Yes." i answered well said he making a move to pass me i reckon i'll slip in and take what i've a mind to and move on now i liked the man's looks very much but i did not know what he would do so i got in his way and clutched the gun it was loaded but not primed and i emptied a little powder from the flask in the pan at that he grinned you're a good boy sonny he said you reckon you could hit me if you shot yes i said but i knew i could scarcely hold the gun out straight without a rest and do you reckon i could hit you first he asked at that i laughed and he laughed what's your name i told him who do you love best in all the world said he it was a queer question but i told him polly ann ripley Oh said he after a pause and what's she like she's beautiful i said she's been very kind to me she took me home with her from the settlements when i had no place to go she's good and a sharp tongue i reckon said he when people need it i answered oh said he and presently she's very merry i'll warrant she used to be but that's gone by i said gone by said he his voice falling is she sick no said i she's not sick she's sad sad said he it was then i noticed he had a cut across his temple red and barely healed do you reckon your polly ann would give me a little mite to eat this time i jumped up ran into the house and got down some corn-pone and a leg of turkey for that was the rule of the border he took them in great bites but slowly and he picked the bones clean i had breakfast yesterday morning said he about forty miles from here and nothing since said i in astonishment fresh air and water and exercise said he and sat down on the grass he was silent for a long while and so was i for a notion had struck me though i hardly dared to give a voice Are you going away? I asked. At last, he laughed. Why? said he. If you were going to Kentucky, I began and faltered, for he stared at me very hard. Kentucky, he said. There's a country, but it's full of blood and Injun varmints now. Would you leave Polly Ann and go to Kentucky? Are you going? I said. I reckon I am, he said. As soon as I can. Will you take me? I asked breathless i-i won't be in your way and i can walk and shoot game at that he bent back his head and laughed which made me redden with anger then he turned and looked at me more soberly you're a queer little piece said he why do you want to go there?" i want to find tom mcchesney for polly ann i said he turned away his face A good-for-nothing scamp, said he. I've long thought so, I said. He laughed again. It was a laugh that made me want to join him, had I not been irritated. And he's a scamp, you say? And why? Else he would be coming back to Polly Ann. Mayhap he couldn't, said the stranger. Chauncey Dyke said he went off with another girl into Kentucky. And what did Polly Ann say to that, the stranger demanded. He asked Chauncey if Tom McChesney gave him the scalps he had on his belt. At that he laughed in good earnest and slapped his breech clouts repeatedly. All at once he stopped and stared up the ridge. Is that Polly Ann? said he. I looked, and far up the trail was a speck. I reckon it is, I answered, and wondered at his eyesight she travels over to see tom mcchesney's ma once in a while he looked at me queerly i reckon i'll go here and sit down davy said he so's not to be in the way and he walked around the corner of the house polly ann sauntered down the trail slowly as was her wont after such an occasion and the man behind the house twice whispered with extreme caution how near is she before she came up the path have you been lonesome davy she said no said i i've had a visitor it's not chauncey dyke again she said he doesn't dare show his face here no it wasn't chauncey this man would have liked to have seen you polly ann he here i braced myself he knew tom mcchesney he called him a good-for-nothing scamp he did did he said polly ann very low I reckon it was good for him I wasn't here. I grinned. What are you laughing at, you little monkey? said Polly Ann crossly. Upon my soul, sometimes I reckon you are a witch. Polly Ann, I said, did I ever do anything but good to you? She made a dive at me, and before I could escape, caught me in her strong young arms and hugged me. You're the best friend I have, little Davy, she cried. I reckon that's so, said the stranger, who had risen and was standing at the corner. Polly Ann looked at him like a frightened doe, and as she stared, uncertain whether to stay or fly, the color surged into her cheeks and mounted to her fair forehead. Tom, she faltered. I've come back, Polly Ann, said he but his voice was not so clear as a while ago then polly ann surprised me what made you come back said she as though she didn't care a mink-skin whereat mr mcchesney shifted his feet i reckon it was to fetch you polly ann i like that cried she he's come to fetch me davy that was the first time in months her laugh had sounded natural I heard you fetched one gal across the mountains, and now you want to fetch another. Holly Ann, says he. There was a time when you knew a truthful man from a liar. That time's past," retorted she. "I reckon all men are liars. What are you tomfoolin' about here for, Tom McChesney? When your ma's breakin' her heart, and when you come back at all?" Hollyann says he, very serious i ain't a booster but when i think what i come through to get here i wonder that i come back at all the folks shut up at harrod said it was sure death to cross the mountains now i've walked two hundred miles and fed seven times and my scalp's as near hangin' on a red stick's belt as ever i wanted to be tom mcchesney said polly ann with her hands on her hips and her sunbonnet tilted that's the longest speech you ever made in your life i declare i lost my temper with polly ann then nor did i blame tom mcchesney for turning on his heel and walking away but he had gone no distance at all before polly ann with three springs was at his shoulder tom she said gently he hesitated stopped thumped the stock of his gun on the ground and wheeled he looked at her doubtingly and her eyes fell to the ground tom mcchesney said she you're a born fool with women thank god for that said he his eyes devouring her i said she and then you want me to go to Kentucky with you that's what i come for he stammered his assurance all run away again i'll go she answered so gently that her words were all but blown away by the summer wind He laid his rifle against a stump at the edge of the cornfield, but she bounded clear of him. Then she stood, panting, her eyes sparkling. I'll go, she said, raising her finger. I'll go for one thing. What's that? he demanded. That you'll take Davy along with us. This time Tom had her, struggling like a wild thing in his arms and kissing her black hair madly as for me i might have been in the next settlement for all they cared and then polly ann as red as a holly berry broke away from him and ran to me caught me up and hid her face in my shoulder tom McChesney stood looking at us grinning and that day i ceased to hate him there's no devil if i don't take him polly ann said he why he was a-going to kentucky to find me for you what? she said raising her head that's what he told me afore he knew who i was he wanted to know if i'd fetch him there little davy cried polly ann the last i saw of them that day they were going up the trace towards his mother's polly ann keeping ahead of him and just out of his reach and i was very very happy for tom mcchesney had come back at last and polly ann was herself once more as long as i live i shall never forget polly ann's wedding she was all for delay and such a bunch of coquetry as i've never seen she raised one objection after another but tom was a firm man and his late experiences in the wilderness had made him impatient of trifling he had promised the kentucky settlers fighting for their lives in their blockhouses that he would come back again and a resolute man who was a good shot was sorely missed in the country in those days it was not the thousand dangers and hardships of the journey across the wilderness trail that frightened polly ann not she nor would she listen to tom when he implored her to let him return alone to come back for her when the redskins had got over the first furies of their hatred as for me the thought of going with them into that promised land was like wine "'Wondering what the place was like, I could not sleep of nights. "'Ain't you afeard to go, Davy?' said Tom to me. "'You promised Polly Ann to take me,' said I indignantly. "'Davy,' said he, "'you ain't over handsome. "'Could improve your looks to be bald. "'They have a way of taking your hair. "'Better stay behind with Grandpa Ripley till I can fetch you both.' tom um, said polly Ann, you can just go back alone if you don't take davy so one of the wind boys agreed to come over to stay with old mr ripley until quieter time the preparations for the wedding went on apace that week i had not thought that the grapevine settlement held so many people and they came from other settlements too for news spread quickly in that country despite the distances Tom McChesney was plainly a favorite with the men who had marched with Rutherford. All the week they came, loaded with offerings, turkeys and venison and pork, and bear meat, greatest delicacy of all, until the cool spring was filled for the feast. From thirty miles down the broad, a gaunt Baptist preacher on a fat white pony arrived the night before. He had been sent for to tie the knot polly ann's wedding day dawned bright and fair and long before the sun glistened on the corn tassels we were up and clearing out the big room the fiddlers came first a merry lot and then the guests from afar began to arrive some of them had travelled half the night the bridegroom's friends were assembling at the mcchesney place at last when the sun was over the stream rose such indian war hoops and shots from the ridge trail as made me think the redskins were upon us the shouts and hurrahs grew louder and louder the quickening thud of horses hoofs was heard in the woods and there burst into sight the assembly by the truck patch two wild figures on crazed horses charging down the path towards the house we scattered to left and right on they came, leaping logs and brush and ditches, until one of them pulled up, yelling madly at the very door, the foam flecked sides of his horse moving with quick heaves. It was Chauncey Dyke, and he had won the race for the bottle of Black Betty, Chauncey Dyke, his long black hair shining with bear's oil. Amid the cheers of the bride's friends, he leaped from the saddle Mounted a stump and flapping his arms, crowed in victory before he had done the vanguard of the groom's friends were upon us, pell-mell, all in the finest of backwoods regalia, new hunting shirts trimmed with bits of color, and all armed to the teeth, scalping-knife, tomahawk, and all. Nor had Chauncey dyke forgotten the scalp of the brave who had leaped at him out of the briars at neowe polly ann was radiant in a white linen gown woven and sewed by her own hands it was not such a gown as mrs temple nick's mother would have worn and yet she was to me a hundred times more beautiful than that lady in all her silks peeping out from under it were the little blue beaded moccasins which tom himself had brought across the mountains in the bosom of his hunting shirt polly ann was radiant and yet at times so rapturously shy that when the preacher announced himself ready to tie the knot she ran into the house and hid in the cupboard for polly ann was a child of nature thence colouring like a wild rose she was dragged by a boisterous bevy of girls in linsey-woolsey to the spreading maple of the forest that stood on the high bank over the stream the assembly fell solemn and not a sound was heard save the breathing of nature in the heyday of her time and though i was happy the sobs rose in my throat there stood polly ann as white now as the bleached linen she wore and tom McChesney, tall and spare and broad as strong a figure of a man as ever i laid eyes on god had truly made that couple for wedlock in his leafy temple the deep-toned words of the preacher in prayer broke the stillness they were made man and wife and then began a day of merriment of unrestraint such as the backwoods alone knows the feast was spread out in the long grass under the trees sides of venison bear meat corn-pone fresh baked by mrs mcchesney and polly ann herself and all the vegetables in the patch there was no stint either of maple beer and rum and black Betty and toast to the bride and groom amidst gusts of laughter that they might populate Kentucky, and Polly Ann would have it that I should sit by her side under the maple. The fiddlers played and there were foot races and shooting matches, ay, and wrestling matches in the severe manner of the backwoods between the young bucks more than one of which might have ended seriously were it not for the high humor of the crowd tom mcchesney himself was in most of them a hot favorite by a trick he had learned in the indian country he threw chauncey dyke no mean adversary so hard that the backwoods dandy lay for a moment in sleep contrary to the custom of many tom was not in the habit of crowing on such occasions nor did he even smile as he held chauncey to his feet but polly ann knew and i knew that he was thinking of what chauncey had said to her so the long summer afternoon wore away into twilight and the sun fell upon the blue ridges we were to cross pine knots were lighted in the big room the fiddlers set to again and then came jigs and three- and four-handed reels that made the punchians rattle, chicken flutter, and cut the buckle. And Polly Ann was the leader now, the young men flinging the girls from fireplace to window in the reels and back again, and when panting and perspiring, the lass was too tired to stand longer. She dropped into the hospitable lap of the nearest buck, who was perched on the bench along the wall awaiting his chance for so it went in the backwoods in those days and long after and no harm of it that ever i could see well suddenly as if by concert the music stopped and a shout of laughter rang under the beams as polly ann flew out of the door with the girls after her as swift of foot as she They dragged her, a struggling captive, to the bride-chamber, which made the other end of the house, and when they emerged, blushing and giggling and subdued, the fun began with Tom McChesney. He gave the young men a pretty fight indeed, and long before they had him conquered, the elder guests had made their escape through door and window. All night the reels and jigs went on, and the feasting and drinking too in the fine rain that came at dawn to hide the crests the company rode warily homeward through the notches End of chapter seven